Hey, everybody, Holden here. Hey, and I'm Jackie Zabrowski. We are here to invite you to the live Page 7 and Wizard and the Bruiser show in Los Angeles, California. That's right. We're coming to the Regent Theater on Wednesday, December 11th. And the tickets are just $22. You can get your tickets at lastpodcastnetwork.com slash P7Live. Come on out. You know you want to meet us. Yeah, see you then, y'all. Bye. Hello, everybody. It's your badass warrior princess bruiser, Holden McNeely. And it's me, your wacky warrior joxer sidekick, and my brother's the executive producer. <laughs> I slipped on a b- banana peel. <laughs> bruiser, wizard. <laughs> I'm Ted Raimi, wizard Jake Young. <laughs> I'm Ted Raby. Hi, my brother's the executive producer. G-g-goink. What is this character? It's Joxer. <laughs> Everyone loves Joxer. Played by Ted Raby. I thought you were going to be Gabrielle. I could hold in. Our connection is nowhere near as we don't deep have and the beautiful. Tension. Yeah, the last thing we've ever had was sexual tension with each other. I think it's uh, really it's asexual tension. Yeah. That we have to be, <laughs> yes, absolutely. The more time we spend together, the least likely either of us will fuck. <laughs> Completely. I feel bad for my wife and your fiance. Welcome to the Xena Warrior Princess episode of Wizard and the Bruiser, and this is a Patreon sponsored episode. Thank you so much, Carl Smith. Carl Smith, and this one specifically goes out to Carl's girlfriend, Jack Stone. Carl, first of all, wanted to promote his own podcast, Game Train, that he co-hosts with Callan Davison, uh, where they talk about gaming news and give them reviews. Also, his band, The Lyrical, from Australia, and most importantly, though... Uh, this is the big one. His girlfriend Jack's new crochet business on Instagram at Stone Made, which is really easy. That's I, I, that's cool that you got that handle at Stone Made. She makes epic ponchos, bags, necklaces, and crochet tops, etc. But the coolest thing I think is she also makes custom Nintendo Switch holders. My Switch has lived in one since she created it in an attempt to make a double beer can holder for a festival. <laughs> it's so much easier to walk around with or even be on a plane with than having to dig out a bag and another bag, etc. She also sells the stuff on Etsy, etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Stone made a you thank you so much again carl and jack okay so now we see where the angle comes in they are also from the bottom of the world yes completely (laughs) uh and it has been a pleasure learning about this uh this one i definitely it's funny you know you it's like xena was just always there it was like you know when you hear something is like the soundtrack of your life I feel like Xena is like that show that's just in the background, at least was, of my life. Like, like it was just always on TV, it seemed like. And I remember enjoying the, the just the range of the show, the, the silliness that it can get to, and then also, you know, the Deathly series, very dramatic, almost Greek tra- tragedy levels of drama that it can reach as well. It's... Uh, and, and horny and whatever. Uh, more so than any <laughs> other thing we've covered, I obviously we've retired the crossover joke. Yeah, but like so many things yes. from reading about this topic has branched off into things we've already covered. For example, this we never even like. Do we even acknowledge uh, the Sam Raimi connection to Xena? In our Evil Dead episodes? I don't, I'm not sure that we had. I remembered being really kind of blown away when I read the Bruce Campbell autobiography, uh, his first one at least, that he was in a bunch of Hercules and Xena and stuff. And that was a big part of his acting story. And now, of course, it all makes sense, you know, because of the connections there producer-wise. But uh, yeah, there's. you're right. There's so many bizarre threads. Of course, Raimi being one of the biggest ones when it comes to the story of Xena. Even from the first seconds of every episode, that opening monologue, you know, in a time of ancient gods, warlords, and kings, a land in turmoil cried out for a hero. She was Xena, a mighty princess forged in the heat of battle. The power, the passion, the danger. Her courage will change the world. 
That was Don LaFontaine, like the inner world guy. <laughs> like the, the official voice of all trailers did, like he opens every episode. Uh, the fact that uh, the, 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 is that's the same Bulgarian choir music that blew our minds during the Ghost in the Shell episode. Uh-huh. Everything fucking crisscrosses. Yeah. And it turns out Xena was not just some weird first-run syndication show that succeeded just from, like, the weird uh, serendipity of being at the exact right time, exact right attitude, and exact right format. Like, this was just the 90s becoming the 2000s, becoming everything, and it all ties in together. Because of the Sam Raimi connection, because of the fact that they were producing in New Zealand when no one else was doing anything there. You know, before Peter Jackson was all like, hey, New Zealand, it looks pretty. You can like do it. You can do cool stuff here. But also speaking of Peter Jackson, their usage of forced perspective was like and and bringing it into the modern fold was a precursor to Lord of the Rings even, you know, shot using it all over the place with Gandalf and the Hobbits. And then, of course, we have to acknowledge that Xena, as a character with Gabrielle, was a fucking lightning rod for uh, lesbians and gay people and uh, the entirety of, like, the internet fandom community. You know, we talked about it, how in Firefly it was this burgeoning uh, movement, but the Xena fandom, the Xenites, as they gathered on whoosh.org, <laughs> uh, whoosh named after the sound of the chakram mm. as it flew through the air. These were where people found each other online and it was like the first place where they could even talk about this stuff. Ah, God, it even connects with uh, uh, one of the head writers like was absolutely pushing for that lesbian connection. And she ended up being like the co-creator of Orange is the New Black. Like uh-huh. it all it all like everything found a way through Xena. <laughs> Well, and it makes a lot of sense because if it's the kind of show where a lot of people could launch their careers or innovate in certain ways because it's that type of uh, entity, that type of project that the big wigs and the main people in charge didn't really give a hot fuck about. It, oh, you know, it was a, initially it was the golden initially, circumstances that always it always yeah. comes up. When you're in your corner and you're able to just like, they're just like, whatever, just pump it out. It was because it was considered essentially like the little sister show to Hercules at first. And then, of course, it would come to really, I think, eclipse Hercules as it's as the main Listen, sta- it know, only it only completely overtook Kevin Sorbo's uh, legendary journey, Hercules, in terms of ratings, cultural impact, merch sales and <laughs> uh, longevity. Uh, but did- other than that. <laughs> Did you, did you, re- I mean, do you have remembrances, recall, recallings of, of Xena time? Okay, okay, this is a specific thing. I just remember being, you know, it was one of those sick day shows. It was one of those, yes, like, bored at home shows. Sunday, sitting on like the living room Sunday floor. afternoon, like, fuck, what am I going to do today? I got to kill, like, remember when you were a little kid and you had hours to kill? You know, that was kind of what it was, right? And and You and the rest of the television industry, because the network still, right. like, hadn't consolidated. Every- I mean, there's still syndication, but, you know, it's an entire part of television production that is built to kill the dead hours. Built to kill. And so, yeah, what was born from basically this weird idea where Universal MCA pictures were just going to be like, hey, Sam Raimi, your production company makes a bunch of schlocky shit for like zero money can you just make a bunch of like bad made for tv movies for us like just to just to literally fill dead air just to just just cram noise and pictures onto you know the uh not not your abc affiliate not your nbc affiliate like wpix or the or the upn network or just like all those shitty local channels that (laughs) the wb in a way kind of killed uh the the we'll get that in our wb episode oh my god (laughs) someone pay us to do that Oh my god. Now what you think you can understand about Michigan J Frog is um so I remember watching it on the bedroom floor. Uh I remember just kind of like not appreciating the hokiness of it. I remember being like, "Oh, this looks so cheap" because I was young and like okay, you know what it is? What is it, Jake? The fact that they went so balls out despite the fact that they did not have the budget to go balls or out or the balls cuz they were f- women. That was a bad. <laughs> no, that was good. That was good. Um, uh, I it, it was not uh, I was just too young to appreciate it and it was it's watching it now that I 
truly love what they're doing and mm-hmm. understand completely how in control they are of the tone and the direction. And what was that? You sent having. me a really fun documentary about it. Um, I forget the name. It's on YouTube. It's in two different parts. It's like Xena, what you don't know or something like oh, that. Yeah, I, it has to be just someone ripped the DVD extras or something. Yeah, And I loved learning all of the little special effects tricks, all of the little things they did to cheat a horse riding battle scene or, you know, all that. And all the things we learned about like the second unit and how key they were to shooting the show and getting all this trickery essentially done so that they could make uh, some battle scene essentially happen out of nothing, out of no money, out of just doing, you know, and they used tricks from evil dead, which I love that, that, you know, they really got a lot out of that lineage that, you know, this is a similar thing to evil dead. It's like, Instead of Evil Dead, which is a bunch of kids trying to break into the movie industry, this is a bunch of, like, people in New Zealand trying to make a popular show happen with a no money or really much support from the network that they're filming it for. But that same lineage of, like, film nerds with no money, because, uh, you know, uh, again, another crossover uh, we talked about in Art Fine, Crumb. I'll, I'll, I have to do it then. Crossover. You know, uh, what was the Jungle Woman who had her own action series that made Art Crumb get horny forever? That was Sheena. Sheena, yes. And that was a, uh, you know, exploitation syndicated adventure show. Mm-hmm. All the action scenes are ripped so hard from like Hong Kong stuff. Yes, which um, is great. Yeah. we One of the episodes that. we both made sure to watch was uh, Callisto from uh-huh. season one. And that culminates in this crazy direct ripoff Hong Kong style ladder fight. Yes. Which is amazing. The sound effects, the kind of stunt work is all like cheesy, you know, Shaw Brothers ripoffs. Although they're doing it with a stunt crew in uh, New Zealand, including a young Zoe Bell. So whenever like you see uh, Lucy Lawless rear her hand back for a, um, for like a right cross. And then they cut to her and over the shoulder shot. And all of a sudden a much, thinner, shorter woman's back punches someone. (laughs) Uh, You know, that was her. I'm super jazzed. It was super entertaining. Mm -hmm. You could tell these people were having fun, at least in the the early seasons. Then maybe uh, there was a couple of horse accidents and pregnancies and troubles on set Mm -hmm. and divorces. And, you know, some episodes get a little weird. And by the end, you know, when they're bringing in future babies and comas and gods from different religions and, uh, you know, they're like, I mean, the- which will happen when you film six seasons of uh, with 134 episodes. That is so – you already didn't have a budget. You have to make 134 episodes of television? That's absurd. I guess what I'm trying to say is even though both of us uh, are missing the perspective of being like – A lesbian. I or- tried so hard to get a lesbian. <laughs> I we, shook- had, we had a lesbian. I, there was a scheduling conflict at the yeah. last minute. An incredibly funny comedian who just so happens to... Yeah, also to, happens to be, by the way, it's, you know, yeah. yeah. But uh, more so than even that angle, even more so than that shipping angle, is the fact that, like, uh, Lucy Lawless was beautiful, powerful, mm-hmm. and even though she was in a leather bustier, she was never, like, seductive. She always yeah. spoke authoritatively. It was never eye-rolly fan service in that sense. It was never like, ugh, we get it. You're a sex symbol. I mean, you know, they, there would be times where she would jump in the hot tub with Gabrielle. Yeah, but that was rad. Yeah, that was rad. <laughs> but um, it's, it's more so the fantasy of being uh, completely self-sufficient with only your female friend, uh, not relying on a guy, being the most authoritative voice, literally fixing problems and not having someone rescue you. Right. Lucy Lawless skirted that edge so far between like, you know, confident and beautiful, but instead of like pandering and sexy. And it really was a genuine like new thing on television. I, I don't know how to say this other than the fact that like walking into a hostile bar full of barbarians and rapists and feeling unafraid is a very empowering thing. And Xena was the only game in town. Whereas if you were a dude who wanted, uh, say, a symbolic character through which you could imagine yourself as a figure of strength and confidence, you could choose anything else on television. Oh, totally. And this preceded Buffy and Alias and all these really strong female-driven action shows that you have now. There's there's a plenty now, I feel like. It's still maybe not as many as there could be, but... This really was at a time when you didn't see this a lot on television. It's you know it's it's the same way that a little kid 
a little boy can watch Batman and like put on a black cape and be like, like, I'm not small and weak. I am the knight. I am strong. Xena was a very rare figure, especially at that time for girls. And it was aspirational. It was engaging. It was funny. It was, and it had all the glory of a will they, won't they soap opera. It was genuinely great television. And I hope we're doing it justice. Jake, let's get into it. Let's get into it. It's the Xena app. Let's get into the Xena shit. In a time of gods and kings and warlords, <laughs> one podcast decided to do the history you sound of Xena. More, you kind of sound more like the It's a Trap guy from Star Wars right now. The Empire. <laughs> That's a trap. <laughs> so anyways, all right. Her passion, her glory. Before we can get to Xena, we do have to talk a little bit about Hercules the legendary journeys. Do uh, we? <laughs> just a little bit. It, it, it's a backdrop. It's how we get to Xena. It's an American TV series filmed in New Zealand, as we said before, starring Kevin Sorbo as Hercules. It runs from 1995 to 1999. Also gets uh, the sixth season treatment. It is produced by Sam Raimi with both Bruce Campbell and Ted Raimi, his brother, having side roles on the show. Uh, also, you have Sam Raimi's VIP for this episode, one of the VIPs for this episode, uh, his frequent collaborator, Robert Tapert, who wrote on and directed uh, an ep of Hercules, and they have been working together since Evil Dead. He is actually credited as executive producer and producer on Evil Dead. So he was one of the kids in those early days making that movie happen, that shit show nightmare of a movie. Check out our Evil Dead episode, by the way. It's a crazy hell of a story. And so in season one, Episode 9 of Hercules, there was an episode titled The Warrior Princess, which aired in right. March of 1995. Can I I, I can I just uh, uh, explode that for a second? Please. All right. So Renaissance Pictures, which is that entire, they called themselves the Michigan Mafia, and that was the Raimi brothers, and that was uh, Tappard, and that was even Bruce Campbell in a producing role, were brought on to create something. Uh, it was this entire thing called the universal action pack which was like this lazy programming thing where you know if you were an overworked programmer for a bumfuck you know tv affiliate you can just buy this for a couple hundred thousand dollars and just not have to worry about sunday at 4 30 for the rest of your month you yes. know what i mean god what a sunday afternoon show these these shows were that we're describing yeah um mm -hmm. and so to fill those orders which included uh such bullshit mainstays as William Shatner's Tech War. And like, I don't even remember that one. Yeah, and like Smokey and the Bandit reboots uh -huh, and like uh -huh. all these other things. Part of the daytime schlock. Renegade? Was Renegade on that list? Remember um, Renegade? Maybe. I know the same <laughs> company also did um, Mantis. But, Mantis? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, you don't remember Renegade, bro? Oh, it's so bad. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I used to Tech have to watch War, it all the Smokey time. Smokey and the Bandit, Midnight Run, something called Vanishing Sun, and Hercules Legendary Journey. But part of that, like, classic trash TV mainstays were these cheaply made Italian uh, Hercules movies that were, uh, that's where Lou Ferrigno got his start in. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger famously, like, his first starring role was in something like Son of Hercules, where they had to dub over his voice because his English was like even more atrocious than yes, it used to be. Yes, right, 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 right. And the totally. and the you know the the basic thing of it is Hercules offers two things. Uh, number one, scantily clad people because it's ye ancient times and you know you can't help it if there's loose fitting women in togas everywhere. Don't correct my English there. <laughs> and number two, it's he's literally a public domain superhero, like all the action and grandiosity of a superhero show that you don't have to pay royalties to. So it was a natural fit that they just had some bullshit Hercules show in there because they were responsible for creating, I think it was five TV movies before the TV show even started. Mm. In one of the TV movies, uh, they kept going back to Lucy Lawless to play an Amazon because she was six feet tall, was already in New Zealand. Yes. And, um, but she didn't have enough name recognition and Universal didn't want to cast Lucy in any major part. So... Uh, you know, the queen of the Amazons, Hippolyta, uh, was Roma Downey. And, like, Lucy Lawless played, like, some gruff, uh, you know, like, second-in-command bruiser type. When it was finally brought to a sh uh, 
a TV series, they had this idea to bring back the whole warrior lady dynamic. And they're like, we got to get fucking Roma Downey back. But Roma Downey was like, sorry, assholes. I'm not going to fucking um, New Zealand. I'm going to go do the pilot for this show called Touched by an Angel. And that turned out to be Touched by an Angel. So then Universal <laughs> was like, okay, great. I have another actress. She's going to be totally fine. She's already in one of our other syndicated bullshit TV shows. Uh, bring on Vanessa Angel from Weird Science. Yes. She's going to be Xena in these in these episodes. She falls through. She has like some weird disease sickness and just can't make it. They go through so many people, but they- And essentially, and one of the main things you have to realize is like a lot of how Lucy Lawless got this gig is just specifically the distance from L.A. to New Zealand. That was one of the biggest reasons that they couldn't get anybody to go to L.A. and especially not during pilot season. So pilot season is this very um, important time to just, if you're an actor, to be in L.A. It is just an incredibly important time for you to just be there because they will you will get called into an audition. It's usually, I think it's the first couple months of uh, the year. It's like January, February. You need to be in LA because you need to be at the beck and call of casting mm -hmm. for you know for those for that period of time. And of course, one, one phone call could change your career exactly because they need people that quickly. Therefore, because they were casting it right around that time, Lucy Lawless just hits this beautiful sweet spot and is able to slide into that role against all odds. Universal still doesn't want her to be in the role because literally in the episode before the three episode arc that introduces the Xena character, Lucy Lawless had already been cast again as a badass yes. female in like, a, I didn't watch it, but some centaur bullshit. There's a centaur <laughs> bullshit episode. And so finally Tappert is like, all right, we'll dye her hair black and say she's a different person. <laughs> and as soon as it starts rolling, Universal is loving the dailies. They are like already just like, oh, this is great. She looks great on camera. She kicks ass. Can she lose the Kiwi accent? <laughs> is pissing us off. She can't talk like a like a fucking Auckland New Zealander. Uh, we need her to talk like a proper British noble, even though this is supposed to take place in ancient Bulgaria. Uh, yeah, it's very confusing. Also, th they did so well, or she rather did so well in this role that they were planning on killing her off in her third appearance on the show in an episode called Unchained Heart. But the dailies were so great, the enthusiasm was there, and they said, fuck it, let, she's got to survive, and we're going to make a spinoff series. Tappert claims in that uh, in that uh, DVD extra thing that um, he was genuinely scared that if they didn't spin off Xena, Universal was just going to steal the idea and do their own show. Right, so he wanted to get underneath it as fast as humanly possible. In fact, in the wake of Xena, they did do a Sheena the Jungle Lady reboot. <laughs> so like they were wise to like get on board. Also, let's talk about it the the life up until now of Lucy Lawless. Lucille Francis Ryan was born in Auckland, New Zealand. Her mother was a teacher and her father was the mayor and a banker. She was the fifth of six siblings, four brothers, one sister. Uh, and I think that might have helped uh, a little bit uh, for her to gain a little bit of that tomboyishness maybe as a kid. Her mom claims that Lucy did not uh, realize she was a girl until age eight. Lawless said, I grew up with plenty of female role models, so I didn't realize there was much of a dearth of them in other people's lives. I didn't realize women couldn't do anything. I was really shocked when my father told me at age eight that men could jump farther at the Olympics, that men were actually stronger than women. That was quite a revelation to me. My mother says until I was eight, I almost didn't know I was a girl. So it was a big year for me. <laughs> uh, she did her first musical at the age of 10, and it was the lead in that musical. By the age of 14, directors were pressuring her to focus on her looks and get more roles. And uh, being a perfectionist, she actually ended up developing bulimia for, for some time. She said, it came to a point where I thought it was fun, but that you think you're going to get respect, attention, blah, 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 and it's quite the opposite. People are turned off. People dance around you. At the age of 21, she won the 1989 Mrs. New Zealand competition and got her first TV gig as a cast member of a New Zealand sketch comedy show called Funny Business not too long after that. After she the, was the Amy Poehler of funny business. <laughs> <laughs> After the TV job ended, she su studied drama at the William Davis Center for Actors Study in Vancouver, Canada. And in 1994, she was cast as 
Lysia, Lysia Mm -hmm. in the made-for-TV movie-slash-pilot Hercules and the Amazon Woman. She later gets cast as Lila in the episode As Darkness Falls, and that's what gets her up to where we are in our story. But it's super clutch. I think it's almost key to the success of Xena that she had that because she was a theater kid up until her 20s yeah you can find footage of her in like high school productions of south pacific she is just like having fun doing jaunty bits up on the stage and she had opera training for a little bit but she quit because it was too regimented and when you know it when you're miss new zealand and have bulimia you can get commercial and modeling gigs (laughs) real easy that was incredibly insensitive please don't kick my ass lucy lawless It was also during this time that she marries a guy named Garth Lawless and they have their first kid. They travel the world together. And then once uh, she gets cast as Xena, that kind of falls apart. But too late. Her name's already Lawless. So uh, whatever. And she has sketch comedy training. So her sensibilities, that kind of like vaudevillian goofery fits so well with like the the Renaissance pictures, kind of uh, Raimi Tappert aesthetic. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. some of the my favorite like genuine like I understand the people who ship I understand the subtexters I understand the bytexters I understand the entire universe of people that really care about like the will they won't they energy between Gabrielle and Aries and Argo the horse I'm sorry those are horse texters that's an actual term I learned and I'm <laughs> upset about it I the comedy episodes really shine through and really make use of her very unique skill set. They have a bit of that Army of Darkness feel to them too. There's just there's a bit of that we're in a serious um, you know, mythical situation, but there's just some silly slapstick shit going on at the same time. Like in the same season where you have uh, an episode like Been There Done That where it's literally a groundhog day homage, which is plays at Ted Raimi's there uh doing uh, a lot of comedy work. Everyone is just goofing it up real hard um there's some great physical comedy in that episode then in that same season you have like gabrielle and fucking xena crucified over their own dead children like as they are being tortured and forced to like reconcile with like immeasurable loss she had a hilarious quote lawless lucy lawless did about that she was like that's my most unfavorite way to die is being crucified you're just hanging there for hours there's a lot of crucifixion in this fucking (laughs) show i don't there might be there's actually i didn't i couldn't find a lot of literature on it but if you're looking for it there's a lot of fucking uh wonder woman marsden style like uh bondage as liberation shit going on in there uh-huh. uh which i'm sure also awakened a million feelings and a million kids watching these shows lucy lawless said i thought it was an entirely natural process This is what naturally happens in the course of American shows. I was that green. I'm a kid from the bottom of the world, and I just thought, of course it gets to be a big success, and then you go to Hollywood and get a career. It's only now that I'm sweating bullets at the extreme, almost cataclysmic good luck that I had. All the stars lined up. So you wouldn't have, though, your Xena without your Gabrielle. Tappert said, just prior to starting Xena, some writer who was hot at the time said, every single story is a story of redemption. And I thought about it, and I'm like, yeah, at some level it is. But in this particular case, what does it mean when you're no longer evil and you want to find a better moral compass in life? Gabrielle was that moral compass for Xena, and that united them together. And I guess we should go back and mention Xena Warrior Princess. You have this... On the offset, evil character. She's she's going around. She's like a Viking. She's going around. She's destroying villages and pillaging them and, it's t- t- and taking whatever lives are set in front of her path. This was largely spurred by Xena's brother getting killed early on in her life. So she's on this quest for vengeance. Not and to uh, not to uh, you know uh, pander to the hardcore history fans that are listening to this right now, but clearly Xena is very much inspired by the warrior cultures of the steppe. Mm, a yes. horse-born kind of, uh, you know, Attila the Hun, uh, Mongolian kind of uh, roaming warrior band where the women were feared just as as powerful and strong and killer instinct as the men. So they, she meets up with Hercules. Their interaction essentially leads to her turning towards a good person, good good gal path. But then her fucking evil army is like, whoa, you don't want to kill babies no more? <laughs> Boo! And that's when she has to go through like the suffering and redemption. Hence the redemption arc, hence her teaming up with Gabrielle, who is 
essentially a character there to soften her a little bit to to bring a little levity to her and um give give a little bit of a feeling of i don't know of light in in her dark spirit well, so, you know, it's uh, uh, women are storytellers, and Gabrielle is there to tell Zena's story. So originally, it was to be played by a woman named Sunny Donch, who eventually declined. I'm sorry, can you say the name again? I think it's Donch. I don't know what it is. Uh, who eventually declined because she didn't want to move away from her boyfriend. There are so many stories of that <laughs> involved in this. It's like, you, I can't believe you passed up on this. Well, folks, yeah, it's Keeps ad break time, and that means I'm going to tell you some harsh truths about the top of your head. Two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they're 35. And there's only really a couple of FDA-approved treatments available that really can work for you. The problem is they're sometimes really expensive and sometimes really inconvenient to get a hold of. Prevention is the key to all this. If you're worried about hair loss, if you've noticed a couple of stray strands in the shower or on your pillow, now's the time to act on those concerns. That's why Keeps makes so much sense. If you're worried about your scalp, your follicles, all the things that grow in your skull region, go online, it's super easy. You just take a few pictures, you answer a couple of questions, and a licensed physician will go over your case and recommend a treatment program for you. Then it gets delivered to your door at an unbeatable price. I've, I've done the shopping. I've lived the horror of going to the drugstore and Keeps makes it so much more affordable and so much easier than it used to be. Keeps treatments really work. They are up to 90% effective at reducing and stopping further hair loss. The catch is the sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save. So act fast and in many cases, men can even experience hair regrowth with Keeps treatments. So find out for yourself why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of the competitors you've seen out there, and nearly 100,000 adult men trust Keeps to help with their hair loss prevention medication. Keeps treatments start at just $10 a month, and for a limited time, you can get your first month for absolutely free. So if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash wizard to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash wizard. Renee O'Connor was instead cast, who up at that point had only done commercials and minor television roles, including that of Daenera in the TV movie Hercules and the Lost Kingdom. And the producers just loved her on-screen presence, and so they put her in. Lucy Lawless said she was just a little bit younger, and I think she, she was just imbued with the Gabrielle of it all. We went through a lot of changes. We went through our 20s together. We're really totally sisters. There is a lot of trust and protectiveness between the two of us. She's a great, great woman, and she's become a great artist. So there you go. You've got your two main characters of the show. Now you've got to make that show in New Zealand. One of the directors who also did a lot of work in the art department for films and TV, came up with the Chakram as Xena's weapon. Lucy Lawless said, Working with the Chakram is so easy because it's magic. You throw it out one side of the camera, it comes back the other. It's so reliable, a.k.a. it's so easy to do camera tricks with. There'd be loads of B-roll of me dropping it, missing it. Many Chakram bloopers. Oh, God. There's uh, another episode, another comedy-heavy episode I really like called It in the Life, where... Um... Yeah, Stay in the Life has the... Very famous bathtub scene between Lucy Lawless and Gabrielle, which really ups the sexual tension, which is something that was definitely focused on much more after the first season when they realized they had a hit lesbian <laughs> show on their hands. But there's a there's a shot where they Xena uh, throws a frying pan with the same accuracy and deadliness as the chakram, and they use the same video effect yes. that like you know the which whoosh. feels very Raimi esque. Yeah, but. Because they couldn't figure out how to get the pan to spin, it's just this static shot yeah. of a it looks so cheap. It's so funny. But it just completely ruined the illusion that you literally you show Xena go, ha, then the sh the, the sh I swear they just reused the same shot of the chakram spinning with a blurry background. Right. Then just uh squibs go off on various parts of the scenery <laughs> and then it hits stuff. Plus it has that magic um I, there was a whole Wikipedia article about the chakram, which then gets replaced by the balance chakram. But I did I couldn't get into that uh, because there's a chakram of light and a chakram of of, of darkness of, of, of life and death. Uh, you know, Eve, her magic future daughter, whatever. It's it's a lot of things happen in this show. 
But uh, it has that amazing thing, which makes it a perfect hero tool where it either can slice through a solid like rock column or just bonk someone on the head with no logic. Or And they're like, people are argue about what enchantment allows the chakram to be so versatile. It's like, it's a TV show. <laughs> of course, you've got the chakram, but you also have the famous Xena warrior cry. She said, uh, Lucy Lawless, that is, said, I remember exactly the moment it was born because there was a TV screen showing Arabic women bemoaning the death of a young man at a funeral, and they were yolalating. Uh, or ululating. Rob, Rob Tapert said, I want Xena to have her own cry, just like Tarzan. Can you do that? I tried. I toyed around with it. I couldn't do it, so I modified it. So the Xena war cry is based on Arabic women ululating, and it was Rob's idea. Rob used to watch all the cuts of every single episode. He'd be playing it at dinner time, and it would just be so irritating to me to hear my own voice making that bloody, god-awful sound, and you're trying to get dinner ready. Hey, wait a minute. Hold on. Why would... Lucy Lawless be able to hear her own voice on the TV if it was Rob Tappert watching the show. I don't know, Jake. Why? Because they fucking hooked up. They fucking hooked up with I didn't actually deny a year really? of the show. But they didn't stay together, I guess. They've been married. They're still married. Oh, they okay, have two good. kids together. Fantastic. But it started as a dangerous liaison because uh-huh. he was the big important producer and she was the hot young starlet. Interesting. 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 Talking more about the cheap production that happened behind the show, Tapered said, It was campy because we didn't have enough money to do things, and we were never afraid to go. We're going to tell a story we can't afford to, so the seams were always showing. But I think that's what added to its charm in so many ways, you know? Is that- no, the balls. The That's the thing. The, they went for it. Yeah. They fucking went for they, it. They, they would even write, oh, they have a fight on top of a bunch of villagers' heads. Mm-hmm. Like that, you know, all that, all that like Hong Kong film stuff yeah. is insane. I'm like, why, how, why would you even write that debt? Like, if I was writing for this kind of show, I would always be thinking about the budget. And I think that would have done a great disservice to the show. They just said, fuck it. Yeah. If we need a, you know, a full on war scene, we'll figure it out. We'll make it happen. We'll do it in the most bullshitty, stupid way possible, but it'll happen. Yeah. Um, which again, watching it now, watching it with clear eyes as an adult where you can actually like agree to that where, you know, you can consciously say like, I understand you don't have the budget. So when you say, Oh no, a giant is crashing through a village, but you don't show it. You just have people like look in the distance and you hear thumping sounds. Yeah. I'm going to be like, okay, TV show. There was a giant crushing a village just now. And they were able to get away with so much because Universal syndicated TV universe was just going through so much change. There was just so much bullshit happening on the red tape side that they were able to just slip so much stuff past the goalie and uh, get, get get things by. Tapered said, once in a while, they would weigh in and say, you can't do that. Like, we had this terribly gross cesarean birth of a baby centaur from a woman. They said, the advertisers will pull out. And we did it anyways. And then they said, oh, M&M's is pulling out. And we we had to recut it. (laughs) Listen, M&M's is a family chocolate. And we don't think this gross horse birth fits with our uh, corporate, uh, uh, you know, brand. Uh, Here we go. All right. Here we go, and I'm sorry, but here we ha- we we're gonna talk about it, and we're gonna we're gonna knock it out of the park, Jake. It's gonna go great. Did you know that Xena had a huge impact on the lesbian community? I had an inkling, <laughs> and the fucking preteen community too. Am I right, son? High five. We were jerking it to it. Nah, I swear to God, I, I was in the prime zone. To- it was sexy. It was sexy, but like the way they treated Xena, it wasn't like. They didn't I don't I don't know how to say this, but like they treated her more as an aspirational figure than like a supplicant, like, you know, just sex object. Right, right. And so for a while I was like, wait a minute, this is like just I'm not getting a boner from this. What's this is me at age thirteen being like, hmm, that's weird. Furious, yeah. What the hell? I just respect and admire this character. <laughs> I don't wanna 
claim her. That's weird. <laughs> Amazing. I We tried for 30 seconds to talk about the lesbian perspective, and I immediately started talking about teenage boners. <laughs> I'm a fucking horrible person. It wasn't until the cast received faxes of an article in the Village Voice that described the relationship between Gabrielle and Xena as having lesbian undertones, which is amazing to me. Lucy Lawless said, Renee and I looked at each other and went, lesbians? Really? Okay. It was fine with us. It kind of reminds me of that part in Teen Wolf when uh, he turns into the wolf in the middle of the basketball game and the ref just looks around when everybody gets all quiet and just goes, play ball. <laughs> like everybody's like, cool, let's do the, let's, let's lean fully into this thing. Lucy Lawless said, the name Xena means stranger. She felt she was irredeemable. That friendship between Xena and Gabrielle transmitted some message of self-worth, deservedness, and honor to people who felt very marginalized. So it had a lot of resonance in a gay community. I get a lot of people coming out to me, thanking me for what I did. I'm completely undeserving of that. We were just jobbing actors, having a great time here at the bottom of the world. O'Connor said, who played, of course, Gabrielle, we were surprised at first, but I think that the writing staff, who were extremely sophisticated and savvy and witty, caught on much faster than I did. And so, yeah, the whole cast and crew were on board for it, but the studio, however, did feel differently. Tapered said, Before we started shooting Xena, we shot that the material that we were going to use to create the opening title sequences with. The studio was so concerned that it would be perceived as a lesbian show that they would not allow us to have Xena and Gabrielle in the same frame of the opening titles by the later seasons they quickly remedied that because they're <laughs> if you just watch the later opening montages where they get rid of the weird cheap cg of uh poseidon on the cliff mm -hmm. it's a lot of just gal pal hugs god oh my god i remember um in the callisto episode Maybe we just checked a single list on sci-fi.com called, like, the best Xena episode. 15 must-watch episodes of Xena Warrior Princess. Maybe that's all I watch. <laughs> There's, like, a scene. This is season one, by the way, where, like, Ga Gabrielle and Xena are sitting by a fire. And Gabrielle's like, you know, thank God. Ga uh, they're, they're talking about Callisto, who is, like, basically the Joker to Xena's Batman. Great character. Like, great consistent villain. And Gabrielle's like, man, what a heinous murderer lady that Callisto is. Thank God you're like, you've shut down that evil, violent part of you, right? Like you're a good person now. And Xena just like, re, re, like grabs her, grabs Gabrielle by the shoulder. They're like huddled together by the flickering warmth of the fire. And she just goes like, I swear to God, if something ever happened to you, I would let that monster out again. I can't even imagine you getting hurt because otherwise that would be my greatest nightmare. And I don't know if the world could stop my rage. You know, like gal pals. You know how you and your bros are hanging out and you're like, I swear if anyone hurts you, I will kill everything on earth because you're such good bros. <laughs> Season one. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. They all, they never go full on lovers though, uh, Gabrielle and Xena. It was always alluded to, never anything completely fully explicit of them being in a relationship. One of the reasons w that was given for that was that apparently they wanted to keep Ares, God of War, in the mix as a source of power over Xena. But really, uh, t I think there are other reasons. Tapert said, we had an episode that would have outed Xena and Gabrielle. And they said, you just can't do that, guys. See, it was more of a studio thing. And we spun it a little differently. The writers took all week to do a rewrite and changed it. And at that moment in time, they were probably right for that. So not that we weren't willing to go there. And had they not checked in, things would have been different. But there you have it. So again, studio coming into play, forcing it to not happen. I kind of wish it did happen. I think that it, I think it would have been a great moment in television history if, if they had given that the green light. Uh, there's a great article that was uh, published in The Advocate where they interviewed uh, writer Liz Friedman, yes. who is a writer and producer. And, uh, you know, she acknowledges the lesbian fan base and talks about how much fun they had kind of like writing around it. This is uh, Friedman getting interviewed in the article. Uh, one episode starts with the camera looking at some bushes, Friedman explains. We hear Gabrielle asking, how is that? Xena answers, very nice. Gabrielle says, really? I wasn't sure. And Xena replies, no, no, you're doing great. And then we see them behind the bush, and they're fishing, naked. They're such a little butch femme couple, Friedman concludes. What they do between episodes, I'll never say. <laughs> she also acknowledges that, quote, we never wrote Xena to be a lesbian, but it's not our show. It's the audience's show. And if the fans want to read Xena that way, great. 
Also in the same, this is just an amazing quote. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but uh, Lucy Lawless was interviewed by The Advocate about Liz Friedman, and uh, Lucy Lawless says, Liz Friedman is gay? Cries Xena Star Lawless. The glamorous six-foot-tall New Zealander, so unshockable as Xena, lapses into stunned silence. Finally, after a nerve-wracking pause, Lawless hoots with laughter. If only I'd known. She's the first woman I've ever worshipped. I'd crawl 40 miles through broken glass just to wank off in her shadow. <laughs> you know, gal pals. <laughs> so, some notable episodes. You mentioned the list earlier. I think I also used that one as well, as well as a couple other ones. You've already mentioned Callisto in season one. Definitely check that one out. It's the, what, How would you describe Callisto besides the Joker to Xena's Batman? Literally uh, Moriarty to... Is she uh, essentially Hulk. like what Xena what, once was? She represents... Uh, sure, her character is that she's a child who was uh, whose village was ransacked by Xena's tribe back when she was a roaming warlord. And even though she tried to avoid civilian casualties, a fire broke out during one of her raids and she regrets it. But uh, Callisto is a physical match for Xena. It's like first episode, she catches the chakram and that's a big oh shit moment. It's kind of like, I can't, I can't do anything but describe it as the Joker. When she shows up, that means, oh shit, like this is real. Like Callisto is capable of like killing minor characters. She's capable of like doing damage. Like, you know, the actress who plays her. She um, is, she is stone cold. She is stone cold, but also is like demure and purrs. Like she's sexy in the way that you know they make sure Xena isn't, mm. and that uh, Hudson like nope, never gonna pronounce that right. <laughs> but you know she's like cloying and like you know has that weird Catwoman like ooh oh hmm. like that's me attempting to be sexy. I'm sorry, <laughs> so terrifying. That was a nightmare, and I'll never get it burned out of my brain. Um, yeah, it's a, a Jake att- Young att- attempting to be sexual. But, uh, you know, she basically pushes Xena to her limits. She uh, will always be there to force Xena into those impossible situations where there is no winning move. Another episode I think that stands out is in season four called The Ides of March, which is an uberific about the fall of Caesar. What's do you know? Did you look at the uberific this week, Jake? I did not know about this sort of stuff because I'm not a big fanfic guy, but an uberific is fan fiction that takes place in an alternate universe or in different time periods, and it was actually originated from Xena fandom. It was coined in 1997 by Kim Taborn, which is a webmaster of the fan site that you mentioned before, woosh.org, and this type of story was used in Xena itself, uh, starting with the episode The Xena Scrolls in the second season, which is about an archaeologist in 1940 attempting to find these Xena Scrolls in order to free Ares from a tomb. Uh, And another example would be the Ides of March, which is Xena in Caesar's days. And Callisto's in the mix. It's a whole thing. But yeah, there you have it. I didn't know it was called Uberific, per se, but it is what it is. You also have... uh, the bittersweet, which is, of course, everyone needs to have it, a musical episode. But the cool thing about this is that Lucy Lawless is quite the singer. That was one of her big things. She's She's got a great voice. She can sing. That's one of her assets that got used, you know, a decent amount after her career on Xena. But, uh, oh, no, yeah. she uh, she did a run on Grease as Rizzo <laughs> yeah. in, on Broadway. Uh-huh. But uh, I will say... Uh, Lucy Lawless is a great singer, but in the season five episode, Liar Liar, spelled like the Greek stringed instrument, it's a musical like homage episode where it's it's like existing songs and they have like Ted Raimi doing like a Liberace. Hilarious. It's, but there's a scene where Xena has to battle rap a guy. And Yikes. for all the talent that Lucy Lawless has, she might be the worst rapper I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, Mary. Play the clip of Lucy Lawless rapping in this episode. I'm the baddest man in jail with a set of drinks. Your expression's gonna change when I'm in your face. No, I'm the baddest rapper there is, and you're the saddest there is, and that's the way it is. You're just a copycat, that's where your head is at. You chase the rhythm from a place you was never at. Horrifying. Yeah, La- Lucy Lawless even said that. I always have to say her full name because it's such a cool name. Yeah. Lucy Lawless even said, she was like, we did two musical episodes, one that people liked, well, the other one. Not so much. <laughs> I think the one you just described is oh. the one people not so much like. 
You also have to finish it off for me, my list, uh, Maternal Instincts in Season 3. And this is one of the ones where I mentioned going full Greek tragedy. Xena is reunited with her son. Gabrielle meets her uh, daughter for the first time. And her daughter is secretly working with Callisto, which ends up with the two losing their children. And they become completely emotionally rocked by this. Very, very strong episode. Do you have any other episodes before we move on to the sad end of our story? Uh, I don't know why I do that. I just like doing mwahaha. Oh, God. I mean, they're all on Amazon for like two bucks a pop. I really liked Been There, Done That. I felt like I, I mentioned it before, but it really just like is a joyously rollicking good time. And it's and you can see everyone having a good time uh, like on camera with mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's really strong chemistry there when it comes to them being lighthearted and having fun. And you can tell, too, in the action as well, you can tell that Lucy Lawless and Renee O'Connor, right? Mm -hmm. Renee O'Connor are having a fucking blast, which is pretty cool to see. But in season five, we have particularly grueling issues happening for the cast and crew including lucy lawless having to do a full film schedule while pregnant there was that well there was that time where like after the first season she broke her pelvis doing a a stunt on the tonight show oh what yeah uh there's a huge chunk of episodes that take place where xena is like half dead and her soul is possessing other characters and that's literally because she was in fucking physical rehabilitation like getting her like she could not ride a horse Or, like, do any action. So, like, there's an episode where, like, oh, oh, uh, for this episode, uh, Xena's in the body of Autolycus, who's played by Bruce Campbell. And in this episode, she's in Callisto. And uh, just don't don't think about it. Just uh, Also, she's in a coma for this one. Just, just please just don't question <laughs> why our main character isn't on screen all the time. But season five, yeah, they hit a road bump. She was pregnant again. There's a lot of issues. She's wearing this like big black winter coat no matter what the setting to kind of cover her belly. There's a lot of issues in the writing room and I think that they realized that the end, it was written on the wall that this thing was coming to a close. Lucy said, I thought it was the right time. I was struggling through the last year because it was relentless. It was nine months a year. I was out of gas by the end. It kicked my ass. The show ends, spoiler alert, but the show ends with the death of Xena, which upset a ton of fans. Lucy Lawless said that the death is a huge regret on my part because we didn't realize really what it meant to people. We thought, oh, that's really a strong ending. Now I just say to fans, let's pretend that never happened. Tapert said, look, we had long conversations about this, RJ and I, and we thought Xena was guilty, and it wasn't about separating Xena and Gabrielle, but the funny thing is was we probably underestimated the backlash. We thought it was the right thing for a character who had come from such a violent and lawless past. So that's why we did it. There was a bit of selfishness, perhaps, in closing that door thoroughly. I mean, at least they got that weird almost kiss where it was like, oh, I have to give you water, so I have to melt snow in my mouth and pour it into your mouth. (laughs) But it's not a kiss. It's a life-preserving snow melt water transfer. But it, it was cool that it inspired so many strong female driven shows o'connor said it's amazing to me to see how many actors have the opportunity to play strong action heroines on television and film i can't say it all came about because of xena but i know that xena hit the public at a time when it was unique and it really broke the ground and she was absolutely cool lucy played xena as if she was the strongest guy in the room there were no apologies and that just created this paradigm for a character that now may take a normal experience Recently, though, there was talk of a reboot in 2015. The uh, NBC, NBC development team, they were going back and forth with Raimi and Tapert. Raimi and Tapert were going to return as executive producers. It was all going in motion. They also had Javier Grillo Maroc signed on as a writer-producer. He did a lot of work on the first two seasons of Lost. So, pretty good. You know, I think he also did Charmed. He ends up leaving due to creative differences. Also, he had tweeted out, like, essentially insinuating that, like, we're going to go full lesbian if we reboot it. But um, anyways, the whole project was canceled in 2017. There's still words circling around of, like, hey, it's not totally dead. It may come back at some point, but it's dead for now. Yeah, I don't think it's worth rebooting. I think it's uh, it exists on its own. It should exist in its own time. Everything that made it charming is still there on the screen. 
And like, if you honestly want what Xena is throwing down, you can still watch Xena for hours. Yeah. And the things that made it unique are a result of all the different voices and all the different cultural things that led up to it. And if you are going to do a kick-ass warrior woman show, make something new. Make something, you know, make it inspired by Xena. Make it an homage. Do whatever you want. Pick and borrow. But you're not going to recapture that weird magic of, like, these Michigan guys who are giant film nerds on a shoestring budget with no oversight at the bottom of the world with this incredible crew and this incredible cast, including one of the most just, like, photogenic giant beautiful women who has ever and talented uh, it's insane that she was just slid in there like that you would normally i think in this situation look at a tv show like this and that lead actress in the any other circumstance uh, or any other situation would be terrible but she just happened to be a great actress that was just happened to be in New Zealand at the right place, right time to take advantage of it. Remember in that uh, Simpsons Halloween special where like uh, Bart and Lisa are superheroes and they like rescue Lucy Lawless from the comic book guy. And then she's like, let's get out of here. And they start flying away. And Lisa's like, wait a minute, Xena can't fly. And she's like, I told you, I'm not Xena. I'm Lucy Lawless. (laughs) (laughs) Great, great television. Yeah, I I think it's just a wonderful show. I'm glad we got to do an episode on it. We have- uh, Oh, one last thing I just wanted to point out. I've got a couple fucking sweet ass ending quotes for you guys. Uh, There was also the Hercules and Xena, the animated movie, The Battle Mm. for Mount Olympus. I mentioned it only because if you can actually find clips of it online, the animation style is really fascinating and really unique. And I had to look it up, and the director was Lynn Naylor, who, if cook a crossover from our Ren and Stimpy episode, was one of the key design and creatives at Spumco. It's a, if you're an animation nerd, it's actually worth checking out again because they do some really, really cool things in there. I love these last couple of quotes from Lucy Lawless about why the character was so important and then also why the show was still important. Lucy Lawless said, Xena doesn't apologize. She doesn't accept that being a woman is a disadvantage in this world. Neither do I, and neither does Liz Friedman, uh, who was the producer we mentioned earlier. Uh, She doesn't knuckle under any bullshit. She's a star on the rise. And as for the show being so popular to people, the world's still crying out for a hero. There are still people who feel marginalized. There are still people who want honor and equality, and that's what this show is all about. And I think that about covers it. You know, it's it's uh, what if you got a costume drama, a slapstick vaudeville action comedy, and also maybe just like Lady Robocop <laughs> all kind of combined. We don't one. do we have this anymore at all? Has has Netflix changed this completely? Has why hmm. I don't see these. I'm going to use the word schlocky. But in this case, I think they really pulled something out that's more special than just schlocky afternoon sunday afternoon whatever shows so here's what i think is going on and that is uh the fucking lowest common denominator that is syndicated tv there's literally no room well i'm sure there is plenty of room and the fact that it did so well internationally and it translated into like 100 different countries proves that it like did hit an amazing like broad swath of humanity but say you're a burgeoning lesbian who wants a female empowerment story and like a lot of cool action you're not gonna watch like bustier lady like hang around with a shirtless kevin sorbo you're gonna watch killing eve and if you're like a horny teen that wants like a sexy giant lady kicking ass you're gonna watch anime (laughs) like yeah it doesn't it's not as it doesn't need to be as disguised anymore yes that's specifically it that they it doesn't need to be on the sly it doesn't need to be subversive yeah people from all different walks of life could watch xena and get something out of it and now People from all walks of life can just get the thing they watch. Want. Can watch people be fucking on Game of Thrones. Yeah. So and with a dragon in the room. That yeah. Lo- that looks pretty realistic. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you have it. I think that covers it for us. Our episode on Xena, Warrior Princess. We, I had a great time with the research going into this episode. I'm going to keep watching the show. It. Yeah, it's you, a fun show. Please, like, if anything we've said. 
sounds appealing. It's $2 per episode. Just find one out of the blue. You're going to have a genuine fun time. And uh, Except Liar Liar, which is the bad musical episode. You're going to cringe. That's and... the one I want to watch the most now. Oof. I, I'm getting so excited to see the they bad musical They put Gabrielle episode. in a cage and she's like a go-go dancer. It's weird. I love bad musicals. Mm. Anywho, where are we at? We're at this. You can find me on twitch.tv forward slash HoldNadersHo. More importantly than that, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We do weekly episodes of bonus content for just $5 a month. It's such a deal. It's such a steal. And y'all, it's getting real. Honestly, it has been getting real lately. We've been seeing some pretty decent increase in our Patreon. I really appreciate everybody who has decided to sign up recently. It makes me very happy. I get an email every time you donate on Patreon. I get a little email alert on my phone, and I was sitting there last night. I get it too, and it just like if I'm in a bad mood, it's just like, oh, people care. I was sitting on the couch feeling weird because I was playing Death Stranding, and I saw the notification, and it was kind of like someone built me a little bridge in my game of life. You know what I mean? Death Stranding, it's a stranding game. That's a new genre. Have you heard of it? We'll talk about that at some other point. Jake? Patreon.com slash whizbrew is the way that uh, I eat and provide shelter for my loved ones. He's literally <laughs> wearing one of those cartoon wooden barrels right now as a <laughs> as as a shirt and pants. It's very upsetting looking. And uh, honestly, a lot of people have been saying that they've been liking the uh, bonus apps, including our most recent episode, Who Would Win in a Fight, where we just argue if uh, which Ninja Turtle could kill the other ones in Mortal Kombat. We both said it would definitely be Donatello. It's, you'd think he, Donatello would be too nerdy, but he is the, he is the strategy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, um, follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung. There you have it. And always remember, keep on whizzing. And never... Stop, Bruce. In a time of ancient gods, warlords, and kings. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.